The most dangerous time for a resident in the facility is when they first enter. Some kids come in as suicidal. Some kids come in as, I don't know what's going to happen to me, so I need to make the first move. So like, I, like I mentioned before, you can't underestimate the fear that a lot of us have who are come from places of economic or social privilege. Thanks for tuning in. This is Stories from the Inside, where juvenile justice and faith meet. I'm your host, CJ Fisher, joined along with my co-host, Chelsea Coleman. And we are in a special two-part series with Rick Voigt. So Rick, let me ask you something. I know you, when you spent your 24 hours in the jail, you had to take a time out. What was going through your mind and how did that feel? You're going for this experience. You're a grown adult, but you know, going along with the rules of the facility, having to be told, go take a five where you go stand against the wall and you're looking at the wall for five minutes. What was going through your mind? How did that feel? Well, first, to offer a point of correction, it was 26 hours <laughs> because you're looking at the clock the whole time going, oh, my gosh, you've never seen time go so slowly. Right. You know, it's it's not what I'm going to say is maybe not what you're expecting, because once you get into this environment, I my head immediately went into survival mode. And just like uh, the boys and girls there, it's like, how do I change my behavior to fit in and navigate this highly structured environment. One day I wanted salt on my whatever was being served for food. And and so one of the guys, I think it was Kenny, said, okay, here's what you do, Rick. Now you give them two of your good boy coupons, which I had several of because I, I gave quite well most of the time. And you raise your hand and then you tell the guard that you're requesting condiments. And then he allows you to stand up for your table in the cafeteria, walk over, and then you can get the salt. But Rick, grab extra ketchup because you might get hungry and the ketchup will help you stay full. Ugh, that breaks my heart, man. And, you know, and so I was just sitting there talking with the boys and like everybody else, you know, wanted to rock back on my chair and they had like a little ledge on the wall and because there was a window above that with a, you know, with a steel wire running throughout the window. And one of the guards casually said, uh, Rick, you need to do a timeout because of this. When I was with these guys for the first several hours, they didn't know who I was. They didn't trust me. Mm. But then as we wore on into the evening and into the next morning, then I was accepted. And then, then they really opened up. But OC, for instance, who had all of this leadership and testosterone, had kind of a I mean, his temper leaked out a little bit. It was nothing terrible. But the next level up from my five-minute stare at the wall was take everything on, out of your cell, put it out of your door, and sit on the edge of your concrete bunk for 30 minutes. And then that was what he had to do. There was a whole system of reinforcements and punishment. The, the guards and the people taking care of the boys are actually very super compassionate, nice, lovely, caring people. They also had a system, well, hey, Rick, thank you for, that was a good participation in a discussion group. Or And then you get a little piece of paper. I still have a stack of my little, I have nine of those little pieces of paper on my desk. That's going to be one of my treasured possessions. So you get an add a little attaboy thing. Or I saw that you were polite and you allowed somebody in line. So I'm giving you an attaboy for courtesy. So they were always there with a little pad of 
of little attaboy uh, things like post-its that then you could use to trade in for things like haircuts or, you know, gum or whatever you're going to get. Um, so anyway, that was that 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 timeout was kind of in the context of this whole world where it's it's just like an alternate reality. Uh, it's fluorescent lights. It's it's uh, concrete brick painted a pale green. And uh, it was it was I don't know how else to characterize it, my friend. Well, something I think that I heard you say was you went in. They didn't know you. They didn't trust you. but. Then even just within the several hours that you spent with them, they started to trust you. They started to listen to you. And, you know, that's something that I feel like is vital to the ministry that we're doing is the relationships that we build allows for doors to open, not only for the gospel to be shared, but for lives to be changed by the word of God and by the the actions that we have or the interactions that we have. I would say it's important for our listeners to understand that that when you spend those times, even if it's just an hour, you're making an impact, you're changing lives, and you're planting little seeds of change inside of them that will ultimately and hopefully change their family tree. So that way, the expectation goes from, well, we expect that Junior is going to go to jail, or we expect Junior to be locked up to that family expectation of going to jail no longer exists. You really do see life change even just from spending an hour a week with these youth. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and if I could just interject, there's one important thing for any for anybody who wants to get involved with this ministry, you know, in your town or anywhere else. Number one, I understand the fear, which could be from the jails in a lousy part of town. My hubcaps will get stolen in my car, you know. This is weird. Uh, Here's the other fear is that I don't know that I know the Bible well enough to lead a kid to Christ. Mm. And I will make a confession I haven't made before. But prior to this, I thought, oh, shoot, I I have to bone up on all the scripture that has to do and save souls. So I was trying to put little post-its in my Bible so that I could flip to the right verses. And, you know, anybody who's listening to this, I'm going to release you from having to have a master's in divinity because that Bible did not get cracked open. It was about me loving this person. And it's those little moments. The whole idea is to be there with a genuine heart and to be there with an open heart. And that's what the kids are going to respond to more than some, you know, canned salvation message. It's going to be the the authenticity of you being with them. The words will come if and when they, if and when they need to come. Wow. But isn't it true? You know, I, as I'm doing this, I'm realizing that what was my fear, part of my, half of my fear, well, a third, third was the claustrophobia, a third was I have nothing in common, uh, and a third was I'm not Christian enough to spend time with these kids. I don't know my Bible well enough. Um, it, it sure makes you, it sure makes you wish that you had paid more attention in Sunday school. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the big thing is I, I want to release anybody who's thinking of being in this environment from the thought that they're not Christian enough or don't know their Bible well enough, you know, and I'm I'm certainly can convict myself of that. And what comes abundantly plain in the first 10 minutes of the whole experience is that it's about your heart and that it God will 
lead you to the right words and to trust with that. So I'm, I'm going to release any, any volunteer out there from the, from the thought that they don't know their Bible well enough. It's about loving Jesus and allowing Jesus' love to flow through to these, these neat little young people. Yeah, I think that's so true. Like it, it's more about the relationships built. And I think when I first got involved with JJM, I, I kind of viewed it as I'm going to show up to this detention center and bring Jesus to these kids. When <laughs> the reality was, no, like Jesus is already there. I just have to <laughs> show up go. and be faithful. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think we need, and this is back to your earlier question, CJ, you know, people who are contemplating a ministry to, you know, kids who are in the system need to understand that God has already set the table. Just like Chelsea was saying, we just need, we just need to show up and have willing hearts to do whatever God wants us to do. Forget the agenda. You know, I can think several times I I'll go in to a facility for programming and I'll have my plan or schedule you know, ready. And all it'll take is a raised hand to change the entire conversation, you know, for that time. And usually those are the days or those are the programming times that turn out probably the most impactful for them and for me. We just want to remind our listeners that a lot of the stories, the names are either made up or confidential just to keep maintain and keep privacy for these residents. So of your time, when you were locked up at the detention center, what was the worst food that you ate? What was the worst meal? The one that sticks in my head was the oatmeal. Oatmeal? (laughs) Yeah. Yep, yep. I mean, it was food that was so bad that, as I shared earlier, Russell was encouraging me to grab extra ketchup because the ketchup was edible and would give me good energy. The, the the food the food itself is served on these flesh colored plastic trays. Mm. It was probably cooked about fifty miles away. You you better like fruit cocktail <laughs> because that's going to be a part of your diet. The thing is, you're eating when you're eating in prison. You're eating to survive. Right. You're not eating because the food's good. You're eating because it's calories. Right. So, Rick, we've talked a lot about coming alongside our youth and spending time with them. But I think what a lot of people don't realize as well is in many states, even though you see like paid chaplains in the adult correction system in many states for the juvenile justice system, those are not paid positions. And so that has been a gap that Youth for Christ and JJM has really filled. We're in close to 200 facilities across the U.S., stepping into that role. And so what has been your experience in casting that kind of vision and especially like fundraising development for this ministry? I think JJM in so many ways is, is the, is the true essence of what we do. So I have to be, in terms of casting the vision, I can, I can share a story or two that was impactful to me. I can suggest that this is something that people might want to do. And at the same time, Chelsea, I have to remember that this may be so foreign and frightening to people that maybe the easier yes is to get them to come to one of our programs right in town. 
and just see us working with kids and then work up to a prison invitation. That may I just like I like I mentioned before, you can't underestimate the fear that a lot of us have who uh, come from places of economic or social privilege. And that's why I think that people need to be shown generosity, right? Um, There was a a football player, uh, in terms of casting the vision, I think about there are all sorts of cool ways to do it. So don't don't come with any preconceptions. But for instance, Chris Zorich was a, a very good player for the Chicago Bears, and he had a great heart for Jesus. And he started a deal using his leadership where two days before Thanksgiving, there would be several hundred people in a parking lot of Soldier Field assembling boxes of turkey dinners that, that, that we could then deliver out to people, you know? And so that's casting a vision. And somebody says, yeah, I could do that. I'll show up at Soldier Field and handle frozen turkeys, you know? And I think that's just a great way for people to get their their feet wet in this experience, you know, leading up to this check into jail thing. Right. Because I want people to know that. This world of service is easily accessible and it's CJ, like I've told your 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 crew in in the uh, Peoria YFC chapter. For some people, their frontier might be bringing a pan of brownies to uh, an evening club meeting for some high schoolers down the street, right? And that's how they get involved. Or maybe flipping hamburgers at a picnic that you're going to have for your kids right there in town, you know? And like me, the thing about Jesus, at least in Rick Boyd's case, Jesus takes his good time. Right. So... It might be a while, but like like you guys have said a couple times, we're planting the seeds mm-hmm. and showing them opportunities to personally interact and not just go to a banquet and watch stories and then get in their cars and go back home, but to really have those those uh, Holy Spirit moments with kids. And I, I could go on and on about just these, these incidental, unscripted moments that I've had with kids at all sorts of uh, Youth for Christ gatherings that have, have just been so impactful to me. That's really good. And you were kind of painting that picture. It, it just It kind of struck me that we try to go in and meet our kids where they're at, but meeting the community where they're at as well. And it really is that discipleship aspect as well with them so that's good yeah and so your volunteers we're all about volunteers right flip a hamburger you know do this or this or this it's it's just a great way to get people introduced i think we we want them to share in the in the joy because i think so many of the benefits accrue back to we as the volunteers and you know you guys as, as jail chaplains and everything i would say before we wrap up here one last question for you Going back to your experience being locked up, how would you best describe your night of sleep? You talk about resilient young people. It's the worst night of sleep I've ever had in my whole life. I mean, you're on a cold slab of concrete with a thin blue foam pad. And I don't think I was given a blanket. I certainly had no pillow. It was cold, and then there was a bright fluorescent light that shone through an opening in the cell door right onto my place where I was sleeping. I won't call it a bed. Um, And so it was cold. You couldn't, it was, 
it was not, not a fun time, you know? Yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, but, and again, I could talk about that. I, I forget how even the the personal sanitation worked. I think you were given like a, like a one and a half inch toothbrush if you wanted, as I recall. It was more about seeing how the boys and girls reacted with such resilience and grace to the environment that was thrust on them. I mean, it was it was just like uh, the book Oliver Twist that we all had to read in high school. The young person doing well in just a really rough situation. So that's, for me, that was seeing the world through their eyes really put a lot of this uh, discomfort in, in perspective for me. And that, and that includes being in a jail cell on a slab of concrete with a thin pad, no blanket, no pillow, and being told to go to sleep and wake up at a certain time. Yeah, and so I know for a lot of facilities, what, what you're describing is pretty normal. It varies from facility to facility, but a lot of that is for safety and security. It's to help minimize the suicide risk. It's to help be able to maintain and lower the risk of violence within a facility. Being locked up is definitely different than than what most people are probably used to. So, Chelsea, what what is it like in the facility that you serve? Yeah, I mean, it sounds very similar to what you and Rick are describing. You know, concrete slab with a tiny little pad on it, terrible food. I mean, the the whole nine yards and and just really that loss of freedom, like your every minute of the day is planned out and you know, a lot of times free time is, like you said earlier, Rick, like just sitting in a chair and yeah. not doing anything, staring at your feet, be, being told what you're going to do and where you're going to go. I, you know, I'm convinced that, the, you know, the way we have our system design is not geared toward restoration or, or rehabilitation. It's very institutionalized. Yeah, yeah. And for, and for some good reasons, we have to think about their safety. You know, I didn't feel that any of the guards were being mean to me. If anything, I thought the guards were super compassionate. They just knew that they had to be very fair and consistent in terms of rewards and punishment. So they, you know, they, they understood their duty. Jail is a great place to avoid. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> you want to be able to leave. <laughs> Got uh, one final question for you. What's one thing you would want the world to know about incarcerated youth? That they're good kids. I know it may sound crazy, but these are good kids who made bad decisions. And obviously there are exceptions, but these are kids who want to get better. That's period paragraph. Chelsea, that's that's the bottom line for me. Yeah, and I think that is like an assumption where like, oh, like they're just bad kids and you know, they, they, they're making bad choices. They did this to themselves, but uh, the youth that I meet in detention, like they desperately want a way out and they need us to come alongside them. You know, Chelsea, it is, it's very clear and very simple. And the message that comes through is that these are good kids. And these are kids that Jesus loves very, very much. And they made, they made some bad decisions and they are unbelievably resilient and just doing the very best they can. So 
just to to come alongside them. And especially if you can have a an ongoing contact with them so that you're not just the the privileged person dropping in from the suburbs, right? For a one timer. But if you can if you can just be with these kids and earn their trust as we did over that twenty four hours, then you open up and you just see how 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 beautiful they are and how they 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 how much they deserve our encouragement and support. Yeah, absolutely. Learning the right to be heard and then being consistent. So important. Right. That's our job. What would you say to a community or maybe listeners that don't have a Youth for Christ or a juvenile justice ministry within their community? What, how would you encourage them or what would you say to them? Um, I'd say start one. <laughs> you know, um, it's going to be a network. There is going to be somebody that's going to have some kind of contact. Uh, and especially with, with our faith-based lens. You know, we can appeal for uh, for our father to open up the right doors when we're when we do that, and when we're steadfast in 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 the Lord, He will open up the right doors for us. So, yeah, I think it's probably a networking process into the people at the local correctional facilities. And guess what? They are all really nice people there, and they care a lot about the kids, especially like Peoria, CJ, and and. Chelsea, I know you'll agree that the staff that are working with the boys really cares about and, and loves the boys and girls. So it's it's find out find out where the opportunities are, but then also un- please understand that this is not an instant thing. There is needs to be a very high level of trust, and one of the reasons I think we're we're in as many as twenty percent of the jails, youth jails in the country, is because YFC works very hard to be a trustworthy organization. So we're not, you know you don't you you don't need to go in with a, a neon cross. It's it's more going in with the love of God and asking the warden or the supervisor there, hey, how can I help? And when they see that you have just a genuine heart for helping, then I think they're going to re- they're going to respond very well, and then you can just take it from there. But they're they're letting you in those doors because they trust you deeply. Yes, absolutely. It's like this shift from I'm going to go in and do a Bible study or do a chapel service and I'm going to come in with my agenda versus, hey, how can I come in and serve you? What do you guys need? How can I help you? How can I come alongside you? Yeah. And then watch the doors fly open and watch the rules get adjusted so that you can do whatever you need, whatever God calls you to do, you know. Exactly. Um, I, I just can't encourage, you know, anybody who's feeling the tap, their tap on the shoulder. In fact, CJ, this reminds me, I have, I have my advocate friends. I want to approach them again about doing something like this because it, it, it's, it's just such a game changer to see this. Thank you, Rick, so much for your time and just your, your insight and your, your voice into how the juvenile justice system has impacted you. Uh, thank you, Chelsea, for uh, just your words of wisdom and just insight as well. Yeah. And uh, Rick, before we go, do you have any last words that uh, you want to say? Or um, CJ, only I want to thank you and Chelsea for your ongoing invitations. It's it's all about issuing invitations, and just to publicly let you know that 
I want to be there. Chelsea, I want to work with you on improving the book cart at the at the facility I went to. And yeah. I just I just want to be a resource to anybody who might be on this call listening. Yeah, no, just I uh, just want to say, Rick, thank you so much for your journey and your path and being willing to to say yes, you know, to the invitations, uh, whether it's spending the night in a facility or coming to share your story on a podcast. Uh, we just really, really appreciate all that you do to be an advocate for our kids. Well, thanks again, Rick, for joining us. We would encourage you to look up your local Youth for Christ or any organization working with justice-involved youth. Also, if you want to get involved with this podcast or serve with your local juvenile justice ministry, please visit www.jjminabox and we will contact you and help you get connected. Organizations and ministries like Juvenile Justice need funding and people to serve. We would encourage you to go to their websites and get involved and or give if you're able to. You've been listening to Stories from the Inside, where juvenile justice and faith meet. I've been your host, CJ Fisher, joined along with my co-host, Chelsea Coleman. We look forward to sharing our stories with you in the future. When I think about a facility without ministry, uh, it, it breaks my heart. To, to think about a young person who's sitting in a, a cell right now, to think about a young